I want to start out this morning with a question. Question to get you thinking. If I were to ask you, what is the world's most deadly and dangerous religion? What would you say? Some might respond, Islam. No, it's not what I have in mind at all. And no, just for the record, I haven't forgotten all the pictures of 9-11 and the Twin Towers coming down and all the other attacks since. But despite all of the death and destruction that some of those suicidal, fanatical members of that particular religion have brought upon people, it's not them. So who is the world's, or what is the world's most deadly and dangerous religion? Some, looking back through history, might say Catholicism, as established by the Roman Emperor Constantine between 313 and 337 AD when he ruled Rome and the millions of misled people that Roman Catholicism has corrupted the souls of ever since. Think of the Dark Ages. Think if you go online and look at how many members that particular religion has, one might say them. No? Well, what is the world's most dangerous religion? Is it maybe all of the, the Protestant denominations that are never seen in the scriptures? where greedy, false teachers, ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing continually, continually make millions of dollars convincing lost souls that they're saved by saying some prayer that's never seen in the scripture. Is it them? No. You know, I was once asked the question, who do you think has caused more destruction? Adolf Hitler or biblical false teachers, popular televangelists of today who preach something other than what the Bible says? The answer is easy. It's not Adolf Hitler. You may say, well, that's pretty harsh. No, that's pretty true. Think about it. Hitler was responsible for the loss of millions of earthly lives. But false teachers today are responsible for many, many more millions of eternal lives. Telling people they're saved by some process that God never said. And so my answer is easy. But as deadly and dangerous as those religions are, there's still one. There's still one that's more dangerous. There's still one that's more sneaky, that's more deadly, that is more far-reaching and soul-destroying and widespread than all of those religions. Think about that. Hopefully I've got you thinking by now. This religion that I'm referring to is in fact the one that lies at the heart and soul of the establishment of Islam, Christianity, all the cults, sorry, Islam, Catholicism, said that wrong, my bad, Islam, Catholicism, and all of the denominational world at large. It's also the religion that is responsible for and at the root of all atheism, 
idolatry and paganism in the world today as well. It is so epidemic in our world that it's even found in some pockets of the Lord's church. And so you may be sitting there thinking, and hopefully you're well, wait a minute, how is it possible that there is a, there's a religion that is found both in and amongst such diametrically opposed groups as you just mentioned, and even in the Lord's church? How's that even possible? Well, as we began to think about it, the first thing I'd like for us to do is to understand the term religion and how it's defined by Webster. A portion of the definition of the word religion from Webster's New World College Dictionary says this in defining a religion. It says, any specific system of belief and worship, often involving a code of ethics and a philosophy. Any system of beliefs, practices, ethical values, etc., resembling, suggestive of, or likened to such a system. So religion is defined as this, this system of belief and worship, often involving a code of ethics and philosophy. That's, that's how religion is defined. So what exactly is the world's most dangerous religion? What is this one system of beliefs, practices, and ethical values which has actually helped to produce and permeates every other religion and even non-religion in today's world. What is it? Because it even has the power and has in some cases divided the Lord's church. I'm going to let brother Leo Woodman, who's a preacher for the Church of Christ in Kingman, Arizona, tell you with an excerpt from an article he wrote several years ago. This is what he said, and he's absolutely right. The world's most dangerous religion is worship of self. Not only does it eventually destroy the worshiper, but also those they come in contact with. Worship of self. The reality is that mankind is fixated on self. We are all guilty of it. No one is exempt from it. This temptation to practice worship of self is a temptation that we all have to deal with. Every last one of us. Steve told me a great story relative to something totally different here a couple of weeks ago, but it fits so perfectly here. I got, I got to tell you, I got to tell you how we're all fixated on self. Perfect point. Somebody takes a group picture or front button, I guess, on a smartphone. Take a picture. Who's the first person that everybody looks at in the picture? Themselves. And if they don't look good, it's a bad picture. Doesn't matter if everybody else looks stunning. If, if that person in person does not look good, it's a bad picture. But if they look good, it doesn't matter if everybody else is yawning or half asleep or whatever. If they look good, it's a good picture. Don't we all do that? Man is fixated on self. Brother Woodman goes on, the religion of self and self-worship seeks to destroy everyone it comes in contact with. It all began when Satan tempted the woman in the garden with being what? Like God. You can be like God. You can be like God. Self. 
Genesis 3, 5, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. Brother Woodman says, ever since that day in the garden, mankind has been thinking far more of themselves and their opinions than they had ought. And I would add, amen. Do you know that the symptoms of self-worship can be seen in every belief, every practice, and every division either not seen in the scriptures or condemned therein. Symptoms of self-worship are easily defined in the lives of those who pridely, pridefully put themselves, their wants, and their desires before the wants and the desires of Almighty God. The symptoms are easy to see. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul addressed exactly this spirit of self-desired worship when he warned, he warned in Colossians 2 about the dangers of man-made worship, about worship designed to please me instead of pleasing God. Fatal, man-made, man-desired doctrines and commandments of men. And in Colossians 2, 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul calls them self-imposed religion. That's what the King James and the New King James call this, this basically self-worship, is self-imposed religion. The American Standard Version calls it will worship. Worship according to my will instead of God's will. Now, it's interesting whether you have a King James, New King James, American Standard, whether it's called self-imposed religion or will worship. The Greek term, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, is ethelescreia. That's not even close. It's a long word. <laughs> ethelescreia, I guess. But according to Wayne Jackson's New Testament commentary, that's, that's the Greek term there for self-imposed religion or will worship, and this is how it's defined. It is that worship which one devises and prescribes for himself contrary to the contents and nature of the faith. That is ethelescreia. That is will worship. That is self-imposed worship as the term is described in Colossians 2, 22 and 23. Worship which one devises and prescribes for himself contrary to the contents and nature of the faith the faith once delivered in the scriptures, Jude 3. We know that in Jude 3 we're told to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered for the saints. God's not going to reveal another faith. At the end of the first century, the faith was once for all delivered. Period. And so this idea of, of will worship or, or vain, selfish worship runs contrary to that. It's interesting. Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words defines this term. Thus, it is voluntarily adopted worship, whether unbidden or forbidden. When it talks in Colossians 2, 22 and 23 about this self-imposed worship or this will worship, it's worship which is either forbidden or unbidden. Now, we all know what forbidden means. Forbidden means God said, don't do that. Forbidden. But it's interesting that when Vines defines the word, it says also worship which is unbidden. What does that mean? It means worship which God didn't forbid it. He didn't tell you not to. 
But unbidden means he didn't ask you to either. When we practice worship that is not what God asked for because we are worshiping ourselves and we want to do what we want to do. God doesn't have to tell us, he doesn't have to forbid us from doing something. If he didn't tell us to do it, it's unbidden worship. We're very familiar with the story of Nadab and Abihu. They offered unauthorized fire, strange fire, profane fire, whatever your translation says. Bottom line, it was unbidden fire. It wasn't the fire God asked them to bring. He didn't go to that specific fire that they were going to offer later and say, don't do that, boys. He didn't have to. When he specified what he wanted, he didn't have to tell them all of these other things not to do. We'll talk more about that tonight as we continue the Lord's Day worship assembly tonight. In the denominational world, it is easy to see how this spirit of self-worship makes itself known. Now, I want you to think about this. The human founders of some of the religions and churches that we see around us, when the human founders founded those particular churches, they had specific things that they said. But you know what? Even their followers decided that they didn't like what the founders of their man-made denominations taught, and so they changed it, self-worship. They wanted what they wanted, when they wanted it, how they wanted it. For example, just the idea of instrumental music. Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran denomination, called instrumental music an ensign of Baal. He said it's a sign of Baal worship. But yet, guess what? His followers in the Lutheran church decided over the years they didn't care what Luther said. They wanted music, so guess what? Self-worship, they got music, musical instruments. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist denomination, said, I have no objections to instruments of music in our chapels, provided they are neither heard nor seen. <laughs> I can bring a guitar to church anytime I want, as long as I leave it locked behind closed doors and nobody ever knows it's there. But... People that worship themselves will worship. Even though we're not talking about Jesus here, we're talking about just flawed human founders. Even their flawed human founders, they didn't stick with it. They wanted instruments, they got them, worshiping themselves. John Calvin, who was behind much of the Baptist, Presbyterian, and present-day denominational doctrine, said this. Musical instruments in celebrating the praises of God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense, the lighting of lamps, the restoration of the other shadows of the law. The papists, that is, those who follow the Pope, the papists, therefore, have foolishly borrowed this as well as many other things from the law. Men who are fond of outward pomp may delight in that noise, but the simplicity which God recommends to us by the apostles is far more pleasing to him. That was John Calvin, oh my. And yet many of the very churches which insist on following Calvin, well, they decided they wanted music. So what'd they do? They got music. Charles Spurgeon said, I will pray with the spirit. Baptist, famous Baptist. I'll pray with the spirit. I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the understanding also. I would as soon pray to God with machinery as to sing to God with machinery. I like that. So I can put my prayers on a tape recorder and say, hey God, listen up. I got better things to do. So while this prays to you, take care of this, will you? That's a pretty foolish way to pray to God, isn't it, with machinery? He says singing to God or providing him music is the same way, and 
Sad thing is, is even when it comes not to human founders, but when it comes to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, when it comes to even some corners of his church, his blood-bought church, Acts 20 and verse 28, even when it comes to that church, some of those who carry his name seek to add things to worship, unbidden things that he did not ask for. Why? Worship of self. Because I want it. That's why. I want it. And you know, this idea of self-worship or worship of self and the symptoms, this is why some people who, who live locally here around us in Shoto, and we invite them to study the Bible with us, it's why they won't. It's why they will drive by our building and go to some other church in town that gives them what they want. Because what they want is what trumps everything else. It's self-worship. And they're afraid, I think, in some cases, to open up the Bible and see what God wants, because if they open up the Bible and they actually study the Bible with us, and they see what God wants and what God desires, and they know what they want and what they desire, and there's a conflict there, they're going to have to make a decision, so it's easier not to see what God wants. Worship of self. You see how dangerous this is? Worship of self. They don't understand that when they're rejecting what the Bible says in favor of what they want. Number one, they don't realize they're worshiping themselves, but they also don't understand that, that when they're rejecting our, our pleas and our begging to study the Bible with us, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting what God said he wanted for them to do. And so they say, well, we'll agree to disagree and maybe even call us a name or two and avoid looking into God's commandments with us all together because that's easier for now. As we talk about this and we think about this, this worship of self, it can happen to any church. And we've seen it happen in our country, we've seen it happen in the world, and we always need to be on guard against it ever happening here. Sadly, some examples of worship of self were all too easily seen as having happened in some congregations of the Lord's Church. The, the two easiest things to see this in regard to are instrumental music being brought in, female leadership or assembly, female leadership in the assembly. But those aren't the only two. Think about this. Have you ever, don't, don't answer this, just think about it. Have you ever had somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, and they're baptized and they, they come to the assembly and they worship and all that, but the first time they hear a sermon that hits a little bit too close to home, you don't see them too much anymore. The first time that it addresses something that they want to do. The first time maybe creationism is talked about. What about the consumption of alcohol? Somebody hear a sermon on, on the consumption of alcohol that likes to what we call today socially drinking. I don't know why it's called that. It's just a homogenized term for the fact they're still drinking. But at any rate, they hear that and they hear what God says and they hear all the verses about it. They hear about alcoholism and, and all of a sudden because it disagrees with what they want to do, they don't come anymore. 
What about when they hear the biblical truth about attendance, adultery, homosexuality, denominational doctrines, the fact that they need to serve in the church or some other scriptural topic? Those who worship themselves? I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I know what I want to do. They don't put it in that term, but... Do you begin to see how deadly this worship of self is? Do you, do you begin to see what it can do? Even in the Lord's church. It's a belief system that says, I get to do what I want to do. No matter how I want to do it. But it doesn't stop there. There are a lot of other subtle ways that this happens in the Lord's church as well. Worship of self and the symptoms of self-worship come about when what a person wants or desires, they want to put first over what God wants or desires. These can be all too easily seen. We've got a copy of the Churches of Christ directory in the US in the, in the office in there. And it's, it's so tragic. If you look up some of these small towns in America, little towns, they'll have two and three and four Churches of Christ in small towns. You know why? Typically, one of them will be a non-institutional congregation that binds where God is not bound. Then you'll have what we would refer to as liberal, for lack of a better term, those who loose where God has not loosed. Then you'll have that faithful congregation. But sometimes you also have a fourth one thrown in, and that's just somebody can't get along with any of the other three. Sometimes it's personality conflicts. Because of worship of self, I want to do it the way I have decided, and that's it. I'm not going to study about it. I'm not going to listen to anybody studying about it. I'm going to do it the way I've decided I want to do it. doesn't matter what God said. Don't, don't sit there and tell me that God has a problem with me playing an instrument in church. I'm exercising my gift. And I'm just not going to listen to you. What is that? That's worship of self. The day that I will not sit down and open a Bible about anything I believe is the day that I'm probably worshiping myself. Think about that. Do we have, if we're doing God's will, every one of us, if we're doing what God wants us to do, if we believe what God wants us to believe, should we be threatened when somebody says, I want to sit down and see that in the Bible? Should we be threatened? Absolutely not. And if we're wrong and we're not doing it right, they can help us to do it right. But if they're wrong, they need the same attitude. But too many people won't open the Bible because they worship themselves. Worship of self is also something that happens, happened to Jesus a lot. When you've got somebody who's doing everything they can for Jesus, you've got good servants and they're serving for Jesus. They're involved in everything going on and they're trying hard, they're compassionately trying to serve the Lord and his cause and his kingdom. Then you get somebody who doesn't want to do that. Somebody who sits back, but, but they look bad because of this other person that's doing everything. They don't want to get involved, but they, they look really bad. And so they'll start <coughs> chucking a few darts at this person who's doing everything. Maybe even badmouth what they're doing. That happened to Jesus, as I said, on a number of occasions. You know what that person's doing? They're worshiping themselves. Instead of worshiping God and serving, they're worshiping themselves and trying to build themselves up without doing the serving. 
Turn to me in your Bibles this morning, Proverbs 6. Yes, we're going to open our Bibles this morning. I did not forget that. They want a long, drawn-out sermon. <laughs> My notes were, were typed up a long time before that, so it's all good. Just saying. Worship of self is built upon a foundation of self-exaggerated pride, ego, and an inflated sense of self-worth and importance. Worship of self is driven by an insatiable desire for ever more personal power and control. That's what worship of self is. I want it my way. And listen, here's, here's the thing. That type of, of attitude, that type of mindset, that type of self-worship in that sense, do you know that it is always ugly to God? Did you know that? It's always ugly. It's always abhorrent. It is always sinful. It is always disgraceful and disgusting to God because of the division and the problems that it always causes. James and John, we talked about them a little bit this morning or, or alluded to it this morning in the Bible class. James and John, look at the ugliness it caused when they wanted to put themselves first in their pride and ego. Do you remember that? Matthew 20, 20 through 28. The other 10 were indignant with them when they found out. Me first, worship of self, what I want when I want it. I'm going I'm to take advantage of everybody. That is ugly to God. Ugly. Proverbs 6, 12. Here's what God has to say about this. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. In other words, he's always taking down other people who maybe make him look bad or whatever. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles with his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Yeah, well, brother so-and-so might be over there doing thus and such, but did you know this about brother so-and-so? Yeah, let me tell you about him. God hates that. It's ugly. When a person puts themselves first at the cost of others and devises evil and sows discord. Therefore, it says, verse 15, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. What's a proud look? A proud look is, I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. I don't care what your plan is in the church. Mine's better because I'm me. That's a proud look. God hates that. It's disgusting. Why? Because Jesus died just as much for the other person as he did for you. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Brethren! Did you catch that? That's twice he's mentioned that. Verse 14 and verse 19. All God's got to do is say something once for it to be locked down, eternal, essential, important. But he says that twice in five verses. Sowing discord, why? Because I want everybody else to know how important I am. And how much of a lazy bum that brother is. Pride, brethren, pride. At the heart of a spirit of worship of self is pride. Pride is the ugliest, most disgusting thing in the world to God. Did you know that? Consider this. The very first sin was an appeal to pride. They you eat it, you'll be like God. 
Wow, I can be elevated. Elevate me. I want to be elevated. Boy, that worked well, didn't it? Every time you have to pray for somebody who's sick, every time you have a death in the family, you can go back to that decision because sin, sickness, and death did not exist in the world prior to that decision, and it was based on an appeal to, you can be better than this. Pride. If you consider a big steel I-beam, you know, all know what an I-beam is, I'm sure. Big steel I-beam, like this with this in the middle. Consider that. Do you know that that is at the middle and the heart and the soul of both the words sin and pride? Spell it out in your mind. S-I-beam-N. Pride, P-R-I-B-E-M-D-E. I, me, worship of self. God hates pride. Listen to these passages real quickly from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 11 and verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 13 and verse 10. The first part of this, wow. By pride comes nothing. If you don't have that highlighted in your Bible and your version is the same as mine, highlight that. By pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Chapter 14 and verse 3. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Chapter 16, verse 18, one we're very familiar with. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. The last two, Proverbs 21 and verse 24. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. And finally, chapter 29 and verse 23. And it's just as true as the day it was written and the day that God inspired it. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. This is in the New Testament as well. We could turn to Galatians 5, 19, and 20. We could turn to James 3, 13 through 17, a passage I've used a lot lately. It's the heart and soul of the book of James, but the message is the same. But the question is this. How many congregations of the Lord's Church that were once thriving do you suppose have either divided or closed their doors because of the world's most dangerous religion, worship of self, personality, pride, arrogance, You know what the answer is? The answer is in Philippians. The answer to all of this, the one that we must always keep our eyes on in everything we do with one another, in everything we seek to do as far as our worship is concerned, every fiber of our being in everything we do, there is an answer. Philippians 1, chapter 27 through chapter 2 and verse 8 is all about Jesus and just the opposite. It's all about emptying oneself of self. It's all about humbling oneself. It's all about not worshiping me, but worshiping God. It's about putting the good of others always first, not me. 
It's about totally giving and sacrificing myself for somebody else. That's what it's going to take. But wait a minute. Wow, Doug. Even sacrificing myself for somebody who doesn't deserve it? And who may not ever deserve it? Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding at all. Isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ did? Did Jesus sacrifice himself for those who didn't deserve it? Did he sacrifice himself for those who never would deserve it? And he said, you go do the same thing. Turn to me to that text, would you please? Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you, and he's talking to us as well, it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, do you have consolation in Christ? Does Jesus and knowing you're saved, does that console you? It's a rhetorical question. Of course there's consolation in Christ. If there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. There it is, conceit, me first, worship of self. Don't let anything be done through that. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem or consider others better than himself. You know who the worst person in this congregation is? I'll tell you. It's me. That's the way I need to see it. What does it say? It says, in lowliness of mind, let each consider others better than himself. Well, if I consider all of you better than me, where does that put me? That puts me below all of you, does it not? It does. Christ said, that's the way you need to look at each other. You want to avoid worship of self? You want to avoid all the problems that all of that stuff always brings? And, and you want to avoid letting disgusting pride get its toenail in the door and the pain it can cause? He said, here's how you do it. You consider everybody else more important than yourself. Say, that's tough. Yeah, you don't think it is? Ask Jesus. He knows all about that. Matter of fact, it says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Yeah, Jesus knows all about that. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Do you want to avoid being caught up in the world's most dangerous religion? You know how you do that? By submitting totally to the word of God and the will of God, just the way Jesus did. Isn't that what Jesus did? He submitted himself even to the point of a cross. That's how we avoid worship of self. We make the word of God and his will the only priority in our lives. It does not matter how low you have to go. 
Does not matter what price you have to pay. Does not matter any of those things or how much you have to humble yourself in the process even. That's the way that we avoid worship of self. Brother Woodman concluded this way, his article. He said, there's only one remedy, Jesus. The problems of this world will not go away until we truly come to follow Jesus. When we see him as the true example of how one should live in this world, acceptance of man's philosophies, religion, politics, sexual orientation, and culture will never make mankind like-minded with one another or with Jesus because all of those things are self-worship at their core. Did you get that? All of those things that I just mentioned are about what? Give me what I want, when I want, how I want, and I don't care what God wants. Every one of those sins is worship of self. If you go to the sin list in Galatians 5, 19 and following, every one of those sins is all about the person on the receiving end. It's all to take, I don't care what God said, it's all about me. That's worship of self. And sin, death, and destruction is what our personal pride and preferences amount to and lead to. He says if we want to affect real change in the world, we must follow the teachings and example of Jesus. Only then will we see true peace in the world. We must get over ourselves. How dare we make ourselves equal to him? Final passage of the morning I'll ask you to turn to is in Romans chapter 2. Righteousness, holiness, eternal life, those are all the result of humbling ourselves fully before God. Righteousness, holiness, peace, comfort, consolation, all of those things, eternal life itself, all come about as a result of truly putting that old man of sin completely to death. I'm not going to worship him if he's dead. <laughs> but I've got to put him fully to death. And look at what we get if we do. Romans 2, verse 4. Or do you... I can say this, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Watch this. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing, doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, i.e., worship themselves, put themselves first, their will, their desires, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, for the Jew first and also of the Greek. But then he comes back around to the good stuff. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and to the Greek, but there's no partiality with God. The bottom line is this. When we are baptized into Christ, it's more than going under the water. When we are baptized into Christ, we need to put that old man of sin fully and completely to death so that we do not wind up somewhere down the road worshiping ourselves. What that means is this. If we were to read Romans 6, 1 through 10, and we're not going to, but if we were to, we would notice phrases like newness of life. 
verse 4. The likeness of his resurrection, verse 5. Our old man was crucified with him, verse 6. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Notice that in verse 10. Did you notice the finality of all of those? Did you notice buried, dead, put away, all of that stuff? Second Corinthians 5, 15 and 17 says he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. My question this morning is this. I didn't know a lot when I was baptized into Christ. I knew what I needed to know in order to know that it was where I was going to receive forgiveness of sins. It was going to be added to the church. Understood I needed to repent. I got, we had the basics. Done a lot of studying in the years since. But maybe you're somebody who hasn't. And so, what I need for all of us to understand this morning, the world's most dangerous religion is worship of self. And we can all be tempted to do it. Remember the picture story. It's a fight that we need to continually fight, but it's easier. It's easier if when we went into that baptistry, we truly put that old man of sin to death, killed him, and we rose to walk understanding, this newness of life is rising to walk understanding that no matter what, I'm going to do things God's way. That's this new life. It's not just a forgiveness of sins. It is a putting away that whole life. It is a putting away of those sins. It is getting, it's not living like that anymore. From now on, I'm going to do things the way God said to do them. That's the newness of life. That's the fulfillment. This morning, if you're here and you've never been baptized into Christ, we'd love for you to be baptized in accordance with what the scriptures say for the forgiveness of your sins. But understand, once God wipes that slate clean, He's doing it so that you get another chance at life to live it his way, not your way. You're getting another chance at life so that you don't matter to you anymore. That's the point. You leave you back there. You rise to what live for him. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling and that old man of sin and death, boy, I'll tell you what, there's nothing, there's nothing to be ashamed of if you come out of that baptistry and that old man of death, he keeps trying to get down off the cross, you know what I'm talking about? He keeps trying to come down and mess you up. You need the prayers of the saints for stronger nails to keep the old man of sin up there. We'd love to pray for you if we can help strengthen you in that regard. Never, ever, ever, ever let the world's most dangerous religion carry you away from Christ. That's worship of self, my way. To put that old man of sin to death and rise to walk for Jesus, or if you need prayers to be stronger in that, please come to the front as we stand and sing.